Welcome to The Recovering Perfectionist, where you'll learn all the hacks you need to get started and finished on your business or project. You'll connect with successful entrepreneurs who are in perfectionist rehab, unapologetically experimenting and balancing life, business, family, and me time. I'm your host and Chief Recovering Perfectionist, Claire Barton. Hello, Recovering Perfectionists. It's Claire Barton here, and I am joined by the gorgeous Jade Harriman, who is, amongst other things, a coach and art therapist. How are you going, Jade? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Claire. Good to be here. Yeah, so good to have you. Um, so Jade and I have been working together on and off for probably about a year, I think, now um, on various bits of our businesses and that sort of thing, which has been really gorgeous to um, get to know you. And something that um, has really kind of piqued my interest um, and what we're going to talk about today is something that you mention every time we chat, which is Barbara Sher and the scanner philosophy. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, that's what I really want to talk about today. But before we get into that, do you want to maybe tell us a bit about who you are and what you do and what your business is about? I know it's very multifaceted and there's lots of bits and pieces in there. So tell us a bit about all that sort of thing. Absolutely. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, look, um, my business at the moment is a mix of coaching and art therapy and also art um, and a wee bit of consulting, but mostly I work as a coach and an art therapist. And there's really lovely overlap there because a lot of the coaching work I do is for people who want to bring creative projects into the world. So it's kind of like a common theme of creativity, whether it's coaching and helping people come up with a like nuts and bolts project plan to get their, their great dream off the ground or whether it's helping people use art as a tool to get to know themselves better for healing, self-expression and so on. So, yeah, that's that's currently where most of my activity is. That's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. And every time we talk, there's something new that's going on. So I know you run a couple of beautiful um, online groups and there's lots of art making and art therapy and just so much glorious stuff. And, and certainly when I started working with you, it really opened my eyes to that sort of thing. And I was a bit like, huh, I don't know what art therapy is. Don't we just paint and talk about our feelings? And then you told me that I was a bit more involved with that. So <laughs> I've definitely been educated by all of your sort of thing as well, which has been really cool. Awesome. So um, I guess in terms of the stuff that I was saying before about Barbara Sher and the scanners, mm. the first time that you mentioned it to me, I was, um, I'd never heard of it before. Um, but something that really, really spoke to me and that I, um, I think is really relevant to a lot of people and especially people who maybe um, uh, identify with that sort of recovering perfectionist thing because we also have been afraid to chop and change or to move from one industry or one career to another one because we feel like we've picked one, we should stay with it, was that with the scanners, it's, it's um, really embraced the idea of being okay with having lots of different things in your life and being good at lots of different things and not having to choose one. So I'm probably articulating it completely um, inadequately. Right. So I'm going to give you, you, you the nail on the head for it. <laughs> That's exactly what it's all about. Excellent. No. Okay, I'm not completely yeah. out of the ballpark. So tell us about it in your words. Like what's your experience with it? I know you've done a lot of work and courses and you've taught in that sort of space as well. So fill us in. What does it mean to be a scanner? Thanks. Yeah, look. Basically, I stumbled across um, Barbara Sher's book, Refuse to Choose, which is kind of like the handbook, the Bible, the, you know, fantastic resource for mm. people who are kind of multi-passionate, have multiple interests. Um, people sometimes call themselves, you know, renaissance folks so, um, or scanners, which is the word that she uses. And, yeah, I stumbled across it and, oh, my gosh, it was just like a light went on because basically what wow. she talks about 
is people who have lots and lots and lots of lots of interests and they don't want to specialize you know they love learning and new things light them up and um you know they might have had feedback from friends or family that like oh you really just need to spend you know like if only you could just pick one of those things you'd well at them you know um or that's all very nice but why don't you settle down and pick a proper Do it kind of thing. So what was some about her approach? Learning new things and they like and learn and don't want to put themselves in one box. And not only is that okay, um, there's tools and strategies for how to actually manage that and. Um, a productive life um, hold down oh, it sounds really interesting so is is everyone who um, like is everyone capable of being a scanner or are there some people who are and some people who aren't she tends to think there are just some people who are um i tend to think maybe it's a bit of a spectrum like everything's a spectrum (laughs) these days but um you know because of course everybody has multiple interests right like even if you're a you know dyed in the wool transport engineer and you love trains and your whole career has been transport engineering you probably still watch netflix you know you might well do gardening you could enjoy cooking so i think humans naturally do have um a range of parts of themselves that need mm. to get expressed in the world. But what she talks about is kind of people who have that at an extreme level where okay. maybe even in their professional lives, they're not content to just go, oh, I'm a dentist and that's what I'll be for my working life. Um, or perhaps they have a series of professional roles and they spiral through those. Or maybe they are a dentist, but being a dentist isn't enough. They also want to be an you know, an amateur playwright and they want to you know, write poetry and they want to do other things. And that those things are just as important, if not more, mm. to their sense of well-being and identity than the professional role is. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, I have a thousand questions, so I'm just going to keep asking questions and we'll just sort of Great. come <laughs> back around to it all, I'm sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk yeah. around um, millennials and Gen Ys especially being, um, you know, more open to having lots of careers and that sort of thing. I don't know that I've ever, I've ever heard the word scanner in, like, in that sense, but... I guess that's kind of what they're saying. But um, I know for, you know, our our generation of our parents, they were kind of big on, you know, they went to uni and they got a job and they worked at a company. They might have changed companies a few times, but they were kind of always in the same career, in the same industry, doing the same sort of work. And that's mm. kind of the thing. And, and, you know, for, I don't know, for you, but certainly for me, I've changed careers quite a few times and I definitely get some of the eye rolls like, oh, what's she doing now sort of thing. Um, but it's definitely become yeah. a lot more normal and almost um, encouraged and um, there's still some people who like don't get it obviously but it's definitely a generational thing that seems to be yeah. a lot more okay because you know they, they also say that something like I don't know 85% of jobs that will be around in 20 years time haven't even been invented yet because we don't know where technology is yeah, taking right, us like and all that sort of thing so um, amazing is 
scan a, a thing that is also affected culturally and by societies that we live in in terms of the norms of what you do after you finish school and that sort of thing? Look, I think that is a, it's a really great question because on the one hand you've got like what is somebody's interest and what are their interests drawn to? And for some people, ooh, Barbara Sher calls them, you know, maybe like a diver or a serial diver, maybe some people's interest naturally sticks to one area and just goes really deep. So whether they work in that field or not, that's where their interest goes, whereas other people's is kind of more of a wandering interest. And mm. um, she talks about like the bumblebee analogy and says, well, you know, we don't think bumblebees are bad or, you know, losers or can't commit just because they go from one flower to the other. Yeah, right. They stay in that flower till they've gathered the nectar and that's what they're there for. And then once they're full of that, or pollen, sorry, and then and they go, right? Yeah. Um, and that's fine. And so it's about, like, what is your nectar and how long does it take you to get it? Mm. So for some people, um, it might be going to a one-afternoon woodworking workshop kind of scratches that itch and they're done and that's great and they've learned about woodworking and they just go file that away and move on to the next thing, whereas someone else might find that's an interest they want to stick with for a year or a couple of years or that they come back around to again and again. And... Um, so that's the interest. But then what you're talking about is the cultural context. And I think it's such a great question. You know, there are, I've seen some kind of essays and analysis saying that this skill of flexibility and the skill of um, being able to move across different jobs and take your skill set with you is obviously something that's um, going to be more needed as, as jobs become shorter, contract roles, um, and that we're starting to realise that people have process skills that are separate to their content skills. Mm. And so for some people, being able to move across those different topics and bring their fabulous systems analysis skills or communication skills or whatever those skills are, that actually they're quite flexible. Mm. So, yeah, look, I think what, what you say makes sense to me, that there is more scope for it. There's maybe less stigma about mm. that kind of movement um, now. But, yeah, I don't know, watch this space, I guess. Amen. Yeah, I love it. And I really do... Um, I really do love the opportunities that we have these days and um, I think if we talk about it in the context of starting your own business, I feel like I've, this, is, this um, business that I'm running now is my fourth business but I feel like I'm already in about the fourth iteration of this business because it keeps yeah. kind of changing and, you know, when I first started I said I'm really techie and then I discovered that I wasn't actually as techie as I thought I was because in the context uh -huh. of my old role when I was in corporate, I definitely was one of the more techie people in the, in the team. Yeah. And then I came into online business and there was a whole world of stuff that I'd never even heard of, let alone gotten good yeah. at, let alone became a master of and that sort of thing. But, you know, I definitely chopped and changed and said, I'm going to focus on this and done that for a little while. And, you know, when I talk about things, when I'm, especially when I'm working with startups and that sort of thing, it's, it's kind of about that everything has to be an experiment and you don't know what you don't know until you know it and until you give it a go. Um, and yeah. there's often things that you say, oh, I'm, I'm really good at this and I'm definitely going to do this. It's definitely part of my business model. And then you do it a couple of times and you think, oh, mm. that wasn't right. Or I really enjoyed that, but I don't want to do it for other people. Or I just want to do it for myself, yeah. but it's not going to be part of my services or something like that. So in that sense, how does, how does being a scanner kind of apply to um, starting a business, having a business, changing your businesses, like, and how do you make money if you're moving around, if you're sort of chopping and changing between different passions or areas and that sort of thing quite mm. frequently? Is it, is it a profitable way to run a business? Can you make money doing it that way? 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question. And I've only been working, yeah, in my own business for like 18 months now, full time. And so I'm probably, you know, ask me again in five years how it's mm-hmm. panned out. But mm-hmm. I guess, um, you know, what Barbara Sher says, and I think this is really interesting, is that she actually challenges the notion that all of our interests have to be in our professional roles, you know, because there is this sense that once we're good at something, that's what we need to focus on to make our income. Mm-hmm. And and this doesn't relate directly to your question, but it's really powerful, I think, permission giving for a lot of people who find themselves with multiple interests. She talks about the good enough job. You know, she says, if you're interested in, you know, 17th century poetry, it probably is going to be quite a niche space for you to make a full-time living out of that, sure. unless you want to study it, get a PhD, or teach it or whatever, yeah. find a job in a museum. Um, so it's possible, but it, it might not be that there's lots of options out there. It might be that having a part-time job in a bookshop is a perfectly great way to structure mm-hmm. your life. So this good enough job that she talks about is not um, soul-destroying, it's not, you know, working with bullies, it's decently paid, it mm-hmm. covers your rent and frees you up then to spend time on the other aspects of yourself. Sure. So that's yeah. one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's quite countercultural in a way because it's really it's saying it, it's okay if your paid job isn't your ultimate expression of you in the world it's also okay if you're not highly ambitious within a paid job you can have these multiple parts of your life that come together as a puzzle to create this kind of rich and juicy life yeah, that you yeah. really um, and so, yeah, in, in relation to the kind of entrepreneurial world, look, I completely relate because I've done the same thing. I feel like my first year in business was like an apprenticeship where yeah. I just went out there and ran like, I think I counted and it was like 54 workshops I did in that wow. first year, art therapy groups. And I just wanted to get, you know, runs on the board. And I didn't know who my people were because yeah. I felt like, well, I need to work with them and then I'll figure that out. Yep. So for me, it was absolutely trial by doing and, and just like you said, you know, then the changes. So I was kind of like, well, I can't keep running. I don't want to keep running face-to-face um, in live locally run workshops because it limits my audience. So moving more on to an online space and then working with organisations. So these waves of kind of development or growth that have happened but they absolutely needed the step before to have happened. Absolutely. Like I couldn't be yeah. with the organisations I'm working with now if I had no track record. And I was only going to get a track record by doing stuff. So yeah. looking back, it makes sense. And I think it's that thing about just having compassion for ourselves and also trusting our intuition and wisdom that maybe is expressing itself even when we don't fully consciously understand it. Mm. You know, so at the time when I started to shift from leaving behind these like face-to-face workshops that I was running to doing more series with, you know, not-for-profit organisations and community sector. I thought, oh, what have I done? Like I did all that work to set those up and now I'm moving away. But just kind of rolling with what emerged in that kind of intuitive process, later I understood that it was actually a really smart and strategic shift I'd made yeah. and, you know, it had lots of very clear logical reasons behind it. Um, you know, so that they also I think within our businesses, there can be a little bit of what Barbara Sher talks about with a good enough job. So, mm. for example, I've started dabbling with some consulting work within the mix of what I do with my business um, or doing some slightly better paid corporate work that then subsidises the work sure. I do yep. in the community sector. So um, those parts of the business can also come together to create a whole mm. and no one part. You know, I think it's okay to not want the business to be just one of those elements mm. um, but that a smaller for example I know an art therapist who works in 
um, community mental health and in mental health hospitals. And she said, you know, she really likes to do that one day a week. She gives a great contribution one day a week. There's no way that's going to be five days a week of her work. And so it's having that kind of consciousness around the balance that we Mm. get to use the full mix of our skills. I think Mm. that's part of it too. Yeah. I I think that's really interesting. And you and I have certainly had this conversation and I, um, I actually talk about this conversation that I'm about to reference here. I've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast already because I think you and I had a, um, a conversation about bringing these two different worlds together, which for me was um, I was a remedial massage therapist and I was a corporate HR and business manager. Yeah. And I kind of didn't want each world to know about each other because I thought that they were counterintuitive. I thought that the corporate people would think I was a bit too woo-woo and alternative or something for being a massage therapist. And the massage people would think that I was, um, I didn't take this alternative therapy stuff seriously or the anatomy and physiology stuff seriously because I actually yeah. I had a, a real job over here where I was you know, getting paid really well and working full-time in the city and all that sort of thing. So I kept them very separate and I would pick and choose who I would tell which job I did really Um, and you and I had a very similar conversation about your stuff where your background was also in in corporate project management and some really high level massive gigs and when we kind of get okay with the fact that all of that's been part of that process I also use the hashtag trust the process everywhere because I'm Mm. such a massive fan of it Mm. and it cracks me up to actually stand back and watch the process for myself and for other people now that I've kind of gotten past that point um well yeah. you know slightly on the other side of that sure. oh my god we're in this process now i'm like oh we're in the process again okay cool here we go um but it's this interesting shift when you can actually stock take all the stuff that, you, that you've got in your tool belt all your experience mm. whether it's your life mm. stuff your career stuff your business stuff your relationships communication people have been in your life trauma happy things like all the stuff that kind of comes together to get you to the point where you're at now um, you can choose yeah. what you use, like your gifts and your skills and your experience and that sort of thing, what comes mm. to the table now. But it's all got, gotten you to that point for a reason. Like it's all still there. It's not like yeah. you didn't learn something five years ago and then it hasn't made some sort of impact into what you do now, whether it's, yes, I'm going to keep doing that or I'm going to stop doing that. So I think, like you said, it's a really interesting um, Thing to kind of get your head around that we do have all these different parts of our lives and you know um, I used to really separate my personal and my business stuff I had a separate to-do list for my business separate to-do list for my personal and I you know yeah. my phone calls I need to make for the business and the phone calls I need to make for personal and I was just like what mm. am I doing this is all just life it's all all the same sort of thing like it all needs to be done I need to fit it into my entire day and I, and, I, and I still, like, to a certain extent, I still do believe in compartmentalising in terms of getting some more shit done. I think it's a good productivity tool mm. to a point. But in all yeah. of that sort of sense, separating everything and putting it all into these different boxes is very inefficient because it's part of yeah. just how our days, like, we've kind of got off on a bit of a tangent there, as I tend to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, because I, I think it's really rich and juicy what you're talking about. And I think that... Um, yeah, I'm just like on the inside, I'm just nodding because there, for me, like that really speaks to me about kind of why I made the shift that I did from the work I was doing previously as a, yes, I was a researcher, I was working as an academic in a research institute and we did a lot of big projects for government and corporates and so on. So very headspace, very professional, very informed by best practice and literature and, you know, it was that kind of a world. 
And I loved it. Like it gives me a real rush to do that kind of thinking and problem solving. Like I get off on it and working in teams like that, like there were definitely things I loved about it. And of course, like, you know, trying to save the world because my 12 year old self who wanted to be an environmental scientist was still in me coming along, yeah. you know, wanting to work on scanner, scanner number one, scanner version yeah, number yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all of that, you know, so it was a great, great thing. But there was, so firstly that thing about bringing all of who we are to what we do. I would have these, I, I did a lot of workshop design and facilitation in that space, but it was like people from the solar industry and what are we going to do about feed-in tariffs or it was, you know, some other professional kind of topics. Mm. Um, and I always felt like the professional masks were just on so tightly in those spaces, yep. you know, that all of who we are wasn't welcome. And that's mm. practical. It makes sense. You know, we don't want everybody, you know, sort of self-help group. We don't want to hear the details of everyone's family lives. You've got a job to get done. You need to focus. But there was this kind of heart connection that I, I was noticing wasn't there. And every now and then I'd get the chance to run a workshop that was, for whatever reason, just a little bit deeper and a little bit more personal. And it was like something in the air shifted. You know that thing of like where you get goosebumps or you feel connection and mm. people have been honest. They've dropped down into something that's a little bit more real and mm it's resonated and there's connection. And I would have those moments every now and then and think, I want more of that. I don't know yeah. what that was, but I want my work to actually have more of that heart. And then for myself as a perfectionist, so this does link up, um, I felt that there were only certain parts of my experience and my world that were welcome in that world. Yes. So it was okay to be a quick learner. It was okay to be smart. It was okay to be organized. It was okay to be this and that and this. It wasn't okay to have bad days. It wasn't okay to have anxiety. It wasn't okay to have hideous self-doubt yeah. um, or to have experiences of trauma. There was no space for that. There was no language for it. And so to me, that disconnect between my kind of competence versus my confidence at mm. times was really painful and, and so that was my own journey through perfectionism mm. so these days I get to talk about that stuff yeah part of my work I don't have to hide it I don't have to pretend yeah. that you yeah. know it's all been easy or it's perfect I don't have bad days yeah um so that's been such a relief being able to yeah like you said kind of break down those barriers a little bit and and somehow create a life or a business space for ourselves mm. where we can express what we need to that feels right yeah. And I love that we get to make the rules. Another um, hashtag that I use a lot is I make the rules because I do. And, and it's a really hard thing, I think, to start um, to remember when we first start a business. Like when we first start a business, we're like, right, I'm only going to work these many hours and I'm going to take four weeks of holiday and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be there when the kids get home and I'm going to do this. And I'm, like you're kind of almost really strict on yourself and, yes. you know, you, you almost accidentally get back into that corporate mindset of I've got to start at nine and I've got to be dressed and I've got to put my makeup on and blah, 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 all this sort of thing. And then you get a month in and you think, hang on a minute, I got out of that for a reason because I wanted to not have to live in that world. And, you know, that sort of process kind of thing happens as well, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the more that yeah. we give ourselves permission to actually make the rules and be okay with pushing back and saying, no, remember that thing? Like actually yeah. saying no, because we can do that now. We can pick who we work with. We can pick the sort of work we do. Yes. We can pick the hours we do. We can pick how much we get paid. Yes. We get to actually pick all of that. Yeah. And it's really freaking scary to start with because it's almost yeah. like too yeah. much responsibility. They're all the things we yeah. want. But then when it comes to actually implementing them, we kind of accidentally get into the funk of needing a boss to give us permission, whether it's us yeah. or whoever. So I think that's really interesting. I got yeah, total I goosebumps. 
like you're right. Oh, go on. No, 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 no. Your, your Fridays that you do your your once a month day where you have a day of self care. My nothing and day. Well, nothing day. Such yeah. a great example of that. You know, it like, is hey, amazing. I, it's life changing. Yeah, yeah. It's every fourth Friday of the month, which is um, I started in January because I realised that I just wasn't very effective at that time of the month. And I just needed to take a day where I didn't have to talk to anyone and I didn't have to feel guilty for not talking to anyone. So it's part of my calendar and I live for those days. I just love it. I drop the kids off. I usually go and get a massage or something and it's fantastic. I don't have to put in an, an annual leave form. How good is that? Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what I was going to say before is I got total goosebumps when you said there was a real disconnect between the competence and the confidence. And I mm. completely resonate with that in... Um, one role in particular that I'm thinking of in the past where I wasn't all that competent. It was kind of a new role to me, something that I really thought that I wanted to do. I got good at it very quickly, but I had a massive, um, uh, dreadfully bad communicator as a boss and we just didn't get along and our values were very, very, very different. Um, and to this day, I still kind of shudder at the thought of the whole thing. It didn't last very long, thank goodness. Um, but it was, it was the same sort of thing. And I was just like, I, there was a massive kind of rift in the ethics and the value system between me and what I was being asked to do that I was just like, why, why is this a thing? And how do we kind of allow this to keep happening? So, um, anyway, I won't go on anymore about that. I totally, totally get what you're saying. I have one other question. So we've talked about like, um, you've got lots of interests. So you've got lots of things that you want to pursue or that you're curious about or that you want to try or that you want to immerse yourself in and that sort of thing. So if we call those interests, where do they, where does an interest sit in between strengths and skills and gifts? Mm. Is it kind Mm -hmm. of the same thing? Can it be the same thing or is it, is it purely an interest? And then maybe you also, it's a gift or maybe it also becomes something that's an ex, um, that's a skill or a, a strength or something like that. Where does it all kind of sit in that sort of space? Yeah, it's, that's a really interesting question. I mean, for me, I think when I think about strengths, when I work with clients around strengths, I talk about strengths versus kind of favourite strengths. And I think just creating some distinction that reminds us that there can be heaps of things we're good at like, and just like you said, you know, you started your business thinking, oh, I'm, I'm the high tech person. And then you got in there and thought, really, do I want to be that? And actually, am I? <laughs> um, so the same, like I, I did maths in school. I did a science degree to start with, you know, like compared to some people in my life, I'm quite mathsy, but I freaking don't love doing maths. Yeah, you right. know, like it's a bit of a chore. It's a bit of a struggle. Playing in a spreadsheet is not my happy place, but there's other skills that I have. So I can do that. There's other skills I have that just fly from me, like they're just a joy to use. So yes. they're actually my favourite skills because they feel right. great to use. They feel easy. Um, in would terms of interest, gifts? I mean, would, you, would you call yeah, those favourite skills so. your gifts? Yeah, I think so. I think that's kind of, um, yeah, analogous. And I mean, Barbara Sher does talk about with her approach to kind of scanners. She basically just says, look, if you're interested in it, you have to do it. If you're interested in it, it's something you need to give time to because it's in your DNA. That's what you're here to do. You just need to do it. Don't, right. you know, don't um, worry too much about the, you know, the details. Just you have to do everything that interests you because it lights you up and it makes you a happier, more grounded person. It makes your life good. And that at the end of the day is what it's all about. That's what right? it's here it's for, like, exactly. 
circuitous loop of like, oh, well, only when I have the big career and the whatever, and then I might have some fun. Like, yeah. actually, the whole point is to be interested and connected and feel meaning and feel joy. And, and that's what, you know, and that can sound like a really selfish pursuit, but of course, that's what enables us to then have a cup that's running over and, you know, mm. we have stuff to share. So it's also aligned to purpose in that sense. So yeah, um, I think absolutely. that's a really interesting point because I think when we think of purpose, it's kind of like where I know I've gotten caught in the trap sometimes of thinking, oh, I don't know what my purpose is. That's it. I'm going to go on stack shelves. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I haven't got to the point where I can really easily readily identify what I think my purpose is. I, I've got lots of purposes. I feel like there's lots yeah. of things that I want to do, but I don't know if that's you know, the right answer. So it's really reassuring yeah. to hear that some of these things mean that you can have lots of interests, uh, lots of purposes or um, let's call it multi-purpose. You're like a kitchen cleaner. Yeah. You're a multi-purpose kitchen yeah. cleaner. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. a really reassuring thought totally. to think that you don't just have to have one purpose and make sure that everything you do in your life and your business completely aligns to that because that's yeah. that feels kind of scary as well because I think yes. there's been a few times I've gone right that's my purpose and I've built a thing yeah. around it and gone oh actually I don't think that was my purpose all right, all right I'll try this yeah. one this is my purpose this is definitely my purpose and I've built something around that and then going oh actually, I sort of think I've nailed it and you kind of do that little yeah. up and down process so that is music yeah. to my ears to know that I might have lots of purposes and there's lots of things that I can try that might fill those little purpose cups yeah. so I'm happy about that. And also there might be lots of gifts that you can use in aid of different purposes or issues or, you know, like I, I think made, you know, I I committed myself to a kind of a mission or an issue by aligning my career so strongly with environment and sustainability for years, right? That was my thing. I was going to bloody make a difference if it killed me. And it almost did kill me because the burnout I experienced was horrendous because the thing is I had a disconnect between what I thought was really important to do and I kind of intellectually wanted to do and actually what felt good to do. Yeah, right. And so the working style, the types of tasks, I was like so often out of my comfort zone, just even like the way I like to work in terms of a quiet space or whatever. There were lots of things about my working environment that just didn't suit me and I just pushed on through because, you know, get on with it, stop complaining, do the thing because that's my mission. But it wasn't a very self-caring approach. And so now what's been great about starting my business is to be able to clear the decks almost and say, well, just get on with it and I'll also at the same time observe what are the things that I do even when I'm really low energy because actually they're a breeze or what are the things that I do because I can't help not do them because they're so fascinating, you know, and then try to figure out, well, that's interesting. I know that about myself. Now, how do I make sure my life's got a lot of that stuff? Yeah. Um, Which is not to say that it's always fun doing the things we love. And I think that's a bit of a misconception as well, because, you know, I, I work with people who are trying to write their book or do more filmmaking or do these things. And I, for myself, have areas, like there's lots of creativity that I'm really comfortable with and it's part of my life. But then there's little areas that are close to a deeply held dream or a wish that are really hard to work on, you know, and they're really hard okay. to make those steps of making them public. Because when we've got a wish that's really tender and really deep and really, you know, we've held it for a long time, it's also so much vulnerability in there Very and that's vulnerable. where the perfectionism yep. comes in as well. And we yeah. think, well, if it's not going to be the best book in the whole world, why bother writing why it? Why would I even start writing stuff, it? Right? I know. Yeah. Yes, I do know exactly what you mean. And I, I, 
I'm a massive fan of Brene Brown's work and all the vulnerability and courage and that sort of thing. And, you know, every time I put on an audio book or I watch a TED talk or a, um, anything on YouTube that she's done, I'm just about in tears because it is always so bloody true and it hits home. Like it, she really does sort of hit on that um, thing. She talks yeah. a lot about perfectionism as well. And, and, you know, the way that she talks about it is that it's, yeah. it's very much can be an avoidance thing. We're not actually, we don't actually care if it's perfect. Yeah. We're just trying to avoid it not being a total stuff up and looking stupid or yeah. being embarrassed or, um, yeah. failing or all of that sort of thing. So I think that's a really interesting, it's a really yeah. interesting thing. And it's definitely sort of the basis for um, a lot of people who I work with who are here or who are in my group and that sort of thing, who say things like I'm a, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I'm, you know, it's, it's an internal rehab and, you know, we're never going to get completely over that because human nature, um, you know, there's always going to be fears and doubts and that sort of thing. But what would you say, um, and I mean, you're a coach, I'm sure you do this all the time. What would you say in, in that sort of sense, like to yourself, what's your best advice on writing the book or doing the exhibition or putting that product out there or, you know, all of that sort of thing? Like how do you, yeah. how, do, how do you kind of get past that, that The point? first step is to not beat ourselves up about it, I think. Yeah. The first step is to not think, A, not believe it and B, not beat ourselves with a big stick just because we have it right so barbara sher calls it resistance and she says it's like perfectly natural anytime an organism wants to change direction its body kind of says well stop because there might be lines that are going to eat us like let's just do the comfortable you know our brain wiring yep. wants us to do the habitual it takes less energy it's safe you know so when you kind of frame it like that it's like well it's not a moral failing it's not because i'm gutless it's not because necessarily my book would be crap but I, I'm feeling resistance. Okay, so what am I going to do about it? And Stupid so brain. the techniques about yeah, brain. Thanks for that <laughs> reptile brain. It's just about lower. It's doing whatever we can to lower the fear. And I think you know there can be this kind of macho feel the fear and do it anyway, or just do it or push on through um, mentality, which you know probably works in some instances, but for many of us just doesn't work. Mm. And so this maybe I don't know if it's like slightly more feminine in the kind of archetypal sense, more nurturing sense that says, okay, you're terrified. Well, a terrified person, no matter how much they tell themselves they're stupid, is still not going to do it. So let's make it less terrifying. Yeah, right. And is that doing it with a group? Is it, um, you know, taking it down to its tiniest, babyest steps? Is it actually taking this big thing and just taking it into a really clear project plan so every week there's just a little tiny... Is it doing it with a friend? You know, is it doing it with a coach? And so the Pomodoro technique, anything that just helps us so that the, um, the, the push forward is a bit stronger than the, <laughs> the kind of barrier there. Yeah. So it's about doing whatever it takes and figuring out what works for us. You know, mm -hmm. for some of us, um, you know, joining a writing group and doing it over coffee with five other people yes. and giggles in between would totally work. And for someone else, that would just be like fingernails down a blackboard sure. and yeah. distract them. So for them, it might be some other version of carrot and stick that works for them. And it's yeah. like, yeah, just find the way and that's okay. It's okay. And it's okay if you feel a bit remedial doing it. Like, really? I have to check in and tell my group that I've just sent that one email? Sure. If that's what it takes yeah. to build the courage to do the thing, use it, you know. Great. We get supported it. in all sorts of areas of our life, you know. Um, so there's no shame in getting support, you know, whether it's a group yeah. or friends or peers or a coach or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think that's really, really, really great advice. And it's... Um, 
it, it makes it so much more doable when you've either got, you know, like you said, an accountability buddy or someone who can kind of hold your hand yeah. or someone you can drink wine with and laugh about how bad that first page of your book is and still do the second one or something the next day. So, um, yeah, awesome yeah. advice. Um, I had one more question about the, the scanner and the business and that sort of thing. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess, doing new projects within your business, so maybe not starting a different business or moving in a completely different direction, but in terms of trying, trying different things out and to, like, to work out if it's, if it's something of interest. Um, let's say you do try something and like I've, like we've talked about before, like you do try something and it doesn't quite go according to plan or you set down a path and you create this beautiful big thing and then you realize, Oh God, this sucks the soul out of me and I just can't do it anymore. What's the best way to make the transition between each of those interests or skills Mm. or such things? So to transition from like the investment of time and, you know, the place yeah. it had in your business into trying something new or going back to what you did yeah, before. Yeah, even if it's not so within it, your business. Yeah, even if it's not within your business, even if it's like yeah. a um, you're transitioning from, like you said, woodwork and going, actually, I don't want to do woodwork, I want to do sewing, and then going, oh, I'm not really good at sewing, I want mm-hmm. to do something else. Like what's the best way to trans- transition between them if you do decide to leave one completely um, and pursue other interests? Like yeah. how do you manage the conversations with the people around you and how do you manage the self-doubt for yourself in terms of having the confidence to just leave that thing that's not working and move to the next one yeah um gosh that's juicy there's so many (laughs) layers to that look i think what it all comes down to is accepting the parts of ourselves all of the different parts of ourselves and having some degree of trust that actually we're a human being on a bit of a journey. We're exploring, we're experimenting, and we're allowed to decide. Like, we're, it's actually no one else's business what we do as a hobby. Mm. And even though it can feel very much like it is because we can um, receive judgment or criticism and so on, um, somehow finding a place and a story that's affirming of ourselves, even though I might like woodwork and, you know, for a month and never do it again. So I think it's when our internal story then kicks in to say, I'm a flake, I'm a loser, I never finish yeah. anything, I blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. If that's really loud, then of course that's what we expect from other people and as soon as they say it, we crumble. Whereas if we can flip that in a story to I'm a learner, I'm an adventurer, gosh, mm. you know, it's great how I can learn so quickly and, wow, I wonder how I'll you know, learn, uh, transfer those design skills I just learned in woodwork to fabric or whatever, yeah. then it's kind of like other people's stuff can just slide right off us. Um, I mean, this came up recently in a group I was in when people were saying, how on earth do I answer the question, what do I do at a party? Like, how do I answer that? Yeah. I'm a PA, but I'm studying nutrition and I'm doing felt making and I'm <laughs> this and I'm that. And like, ah, I don't know how to answer it. <laughs> and again, coming back to like, if you're okay with your story, yeah. what's appropriate to tell that, you know, they're not the boss of you. It's not their business. You can yeah. share what you feel like sharing at the right time. Um, so something, yeah, it's something around that, I think. I love it. It's a really interesting one. Just as a quick side note, I, um, I've been going to um, a meetup with a woman called Simone Haas, who is called the Speaker's Director and she's an actress and a singer and all that sort of thing. So she helps people with their public speaking, whatever. And she's and so she runs these networking events and she says, I hate networking events. And sometimes I get up there and my first thing is I say, I hate networking events, like the, you know, the old stuffy type of business card swap. 
she had got to a point where she was so sick of people saying, so what do you do? that she had these special business cards made up and it, when someone said, what do you do? She'd say, I set people on fire. <laughs> and as they backed quietly away, she would give them a business card and then turn on a heel and walk away. And what it said on the business card was, I set people's creativity on fire or something like that, or I reignite their creativity. So it was something kind of clever when she said, I set yeah. people on fire. But I think that's a really interesting way of like totally, you know, we get so hung up on um, having to have a title for our business cards or having to have a title to put on our website where yeah. like it doesn't really matter what your title is because it doesn't actually explain unless you're an accountant or a lawyer mm -hmm. and that's all you do, which is pretty unusual. Like yes. you're kind of just stuck in this old school way of having to have a title and a hat to put on, but it's okay to just yeah, kind of be whoever you need to be whenever you need to be for yourself. Um, but if you can have a bit of fun with it, then even better if you can be you know, so quirky just to say, I set people on fire and then walk away from them. Um, but actually it kind of means yeah. something. It actually means something. It's not just like a title where people are still going, so what do you do? Like, so what does that mean at the, at the yeah. end of it? Um, so yeah. I'm a massive fan. I've taken my yeah. title off my business card because I, I think after the fourth or fifth mm -hmm. iteration, it still wasn't right. So I've just put a couple of words about the space that I sort of play in and just yeah. left it at that. I'm not going to actually give it a title because I don't, yeah, but it's taken a long yeah. time to get to that point where I don't feel like I need a title. So yeah, that's fantastic. So again, yes. kind of owning the interests or owning the skills or owning your gifts and being like, yeah, I use that maybe in lots of different ways, you yeah. know, yeah. come work with me, you'll find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing is I think at the end of the day, our lives don't have to make sense to somebody else yes. and they don't, or to everybody else, and they also don't have to be what they would choose to do. Like they've got their own. They can get busy with it if they want to specialise or if they just want to stick to the same hobby or they, you know, want to do things in a different way. Very, very welcome That's to cool do too. that. But exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's that diversity that makes the world interesting. But for many of us, unfortunately, it's a bit of a journey to kind of solidify and strengthen that sense of permission for ourselves to yeah. actually do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, maybe that's ongoing. <laughs> <sighs> well, we could talk about this all day, but um, we might wrap it up there. It was absolutely wonderful chatting with you. I'm so glad to know a bit more about Scanners and Deborah Scher's work and your work and hopefully to give anyone who's listening or watching um, the show that confidence that you don't really have to have anything completely worked out. It's okay to move between things. It's okay to not have the end product completely figured out. It's okay to have different interests yeah. and to not have to apologize for chopping and changing and trying different things because we are in just the most incredible world in terms of what's available to us to learn and to do and to experience and people to talk to and people to learn from and that sort of thing. I think yeah. it's, unique and it's it's like feels to me like it's imperative to actually do that in terms of having some sort of creative sane life where you don't just get bored and mm. die paying bills and that sort of thing so I'm a massive yeah. fan thank you so much for coming on um how thank can people you, find more we'll obviously have all of your links in the show notes and that sort of thing but yeah. how can people find out more about you and connect with you if they want some more for info sure. Probably the best place is just my website and from there it's got my Twitter details and my Facebook page. Um, yeah, read my blog, see if it feels like a, if you've got questions. I often get people asking questions about how to become an art therapist or how to do a career transition and that kind of stuff. So that's all fine. But, yeah, thanks so much, Claire, and it's been delightful to chat with you and also just seeing your business blossom <laughs> and actually go through the stratosphere in the last few months with all of your amazing training Thank and you. events. And 
yeah. yes it has been it has been a, an awesome journey and I was similar like the first year was really just such an experimentation I really worked out what I well I worked out a few things that I definitely wanted to do but I worked out a lot of things I definitely didn't want to do um so yeah it's all kind of yeah. coming together so thanks so much for being part of it it's been awesome working with you and so great to have you on the show and oh, talk to you again soon okay thanks Claire and that is absolutely it my lovely so i hope you've really enjoyed the episode it was great fun recording that one as it is with all of them if you'd like to connect i'd love to stay in touch with you i have a beautiful facebook group um, community at bit.ly forward slash the recovering perfectionist crew with all um, capital t r p and c I'm also, I have a massive goal this year to get 50,000 downloads on my podcast and I've got a YouTube show as well. So I'd love for you to help me out if you can by either subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. So if you want to go over and do that now, that would be awesome. If you have a couple of favorite episodes or if there's one favorite episode that you've really enjoyed, I would love you to share that with anyone who you think would get as much out of it as you have as well. And while you're in iTunes, if you can jump in and give it a review, that would be amazing. iTunes definitely helps out podcasts that have got some some good ratings and reviews and some really interactive listeners. So I would really appreciate your help with getting to my goal of 50,000 in 2017. The show is also available over on YouTube. The links are always in the show notes, so you can um, head over there. So it's The Recovering Perfectionist on YouTube. There's a channel for that as well. So jump in and leave your comments. You can watch all of the episodes in video. So if you want to see what we look like and our crazy hand gestures and uh, facial expressions and all of that sort of thing, absolutely jump in. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel show as well. And then you'll be kept up to date when there's some uh, new episodes that come in there. So yeah, love your support. And if you want to shoot me an email, it's hello at clairebarton.com.au. Always happy to receive your emails and yeah, open up a conversation. All right, big love. I'll chat with you soon. Bye.